What's up, Bernard? What's up, Atlas? Meeting for the first time in this lifetime? Yep. How you doing? So good. I'm so excited that so excited that you found uh you found what we were up to and you reached out and you're also up to great things with your mathematical metaphysics YouTube channel and you wanted to have a conversation and on Earth's awakening. And so I'm pumped, bro. Absolutely, man. I mean, Earth's awakening, it's happening right now. And it's been happening. So it seems like let's help out. <laughs> yeah, like we've been saying ignite. The word we've been using is ignite with the mission. Igniting global awakening, <laughs> igniting it. Yeah. So igniting meaning like catalysts. So yeah, so we're catalyzing it. And so you do that through things like this content and people watch that content and then they go, oh, what is Earth's awakening? What is my true nature? And um, how do I empty myself of self-interest? And how do I purely serve my other selves? And that's really at the core of it, at the, at the heart of it. And so we'll we'll play in all these different uh, types of of ways of pointing basically at at it and then um hopefully it'll serve in as those catalysts exactly and i mean i think the earth is experiencing a major catalyst the pandemic being just one of them I mean, there are many catalysts on many levels and i i love ignition i think of nucleation as well because it since I do work in a school, it's a bit of a slower process, right? Um, <laughs> the ignition ha can happen when, I mean, that's the beauty actually. The, the ignition sometimes can happen instantaneously. Um, and actually, I'd like to ask you, when did you awaken? And when do you, and I, you might consider that to be a series of events. You might that consider to be one major moment, but I, I'm just curious. Nice. Yeah, for me, it started with a desire for truth and wanting that more than anything the last 10 years and just um, always perpetually knowing that there was more to discover about life. There was a deeper meaning to who we were and why we were here and that uh, it was nowhere in the standard cultural dialogue, which was also super confusing. Um, yeah. And so then you had to dig and I had to dig and dig. And so I dug through things like entrepreneurship. Um, I dug through things like science. And then I dug through spirituality. And I ended up synthesizing and distilling basically the core wisdoms from those disciplines um, into what ended up being sort of these moments of holy fuck, like Satori experiences. Um, these realizations that are totally irreversible. Um, and yeah, there, there were several moments. Um, yeah, one uh, specifically last year um, around this time. Um, so the end of 2020 and yeah, I, I remember, um, it was, a 
it was an um, a Sufi metaphysic that goes wadat uh, al wujud, and it means uh, the unity of all being, or the, um, and when. When initially I was um, looking at that, I was feeling like, hmm, it sort of aligns with things like uh, Tatvam Asi, uh, you are that, um, I and my father are one, um, John 1030. Um, and for me, um, it wasn't that special. It was like just knowing concepts across the different uh, mystic lineages uh, and knowing it intellectually. Okay, we're all one. We're all one. I see. I get it. I get it. Uh, blah, blah. And then um, William Chittick wrote a piece in the uh, Ibn Arabi Society on the Sufi metaphysic, Wadat um, al-Wujud, and I had never seen um, the nuance of this before. And he said that um, in the phrase, Wadat um, al-Wujud means less of the unity of all being and more so the unity of all finding. Mm. And when I read that, I went into quite an intense nervous system shock because I finally grokked at a more heart level, at a more gut level, um, who I am, what is I. Um, because when you think about it in terms of the unity of all finding, you sort of recognize that, oh, it is the one through all of these different individuations finding through the veilless veil, through this veil of forgetting, finding itself in all these different tastes and flavors and combinations and paths some people go to retreats, some people take entheogens, some people read books, some people sit with different teachers, all this type of stuff. And I did a mix of all of those things. And I was so blown away by how profound it was to feel the one finding itself through all of the different individuations and all of their different journeys. And so for like 10 minutes, I was just like crying in the fetal position and just like, holy shit. And then and then there were several other distinct like pops, um, but basically it was it was a series of, um, and uh, and I would say now it's more about purification than anything else. So right now I would say it's more about emptiness and more about no self than anything else. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so in Buddhism you get to um, you could say. Uh, uh, both shunyata as well as anatta, so emptiness as well as um, void, as well as uh, no self. And and initially, again, you're studying this a year or two ago, and you're like, oh, okay, concept, concept. And then eventually it actually hits your heart and it hits your gut because you recognize that what one means by the path of purification is it means the emptying of self-interest. And it means being purely in service to your other selves. So you're always in a sense available with wisdom and with love unified together, which we'll probably talk about as well. And that 
you're serving without any interest in um, being validated or being seen or being worthy for that process. Basically, your cup is always full. Your sun is always radiating. And then the no self component, meaning that you've recognized, you've seen through the illusion of that there is no self located here. It, the lowercase s self or what we refer to as me or mine or I perpetually in a localized body has been seen through and you recognize that what you actually are is a formless infinite intelligence that is creating endlessly and that you are all. You are all and you are, so you are everything and you are no thing. You aren't a thing at the same time because you're a field. It's field recognition. And and so, yeah, so I would say those were sort of the, the satori's that led me up to basically the path of purification now, which is what you could call doing the work. So now it's about doing the work, which is purifying where you're coming from, doing a fuckload of cleanup. So if you're, if your physical space and your digital space and your um, relationships and your general administration of life, your health and wellness and your state of being are not cleaned up, which is what we're doing right now in No Limit Society with Bentinho and Anurag, if, you're, if those things are not cleaned up, then they will show up in the way you express yourself in a distorted way. And so by clean, by doing the cleanup, you purify where you're coming from. So that way you're actually serving life. You're serving life awakening. You're serving earth's awakening. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks brother. You made the, the choice as raw calls it the third density choice, which is to, or rather the choice to serve others as yourself. I mean, the self disappears the more and more you serve. Is that what, fair to say? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. The lowercase s self disappears the more you serve and the capital S self, God slash no yes. self opens. Exactly. Yeah. The one, the void is also the plenum, right? The, the, the infinite state is also the empty state. And combined, we could call that, as Frank Yang would say, the natty state. The natty state, baby. The natty state. Yeah. And the idea is to always, is to cherish each experience, right? I mean, and cherish means not just let's adore it, because if you're in a car accident, you know, are you going <laughs> to, it's not quite appropriate to just adore <laughs> what's happening. So, so. I suppose that's, you know, I loved hearing where, where you're at. I just want to share where I'm at. Yeah, of course. I, I, I guess also in the purification process and very much focusing on when things do go wrong, when there appear to be mistakes or shortcomings or distortions that arise, which can't just be shrugged off, something that happens like a physical illness or a physical injury catalyst that has not been properly mentally processed and now becomes physical right and it's something you can't just will away right um that's the, that dynamical part of 
perfection where it's it, we're not just in a perfect state where everything is where no action needs to be taken some catalyst forces and induces action and it's tricky to keep unity at the forefront when you are evolving away from a certain state due to catalyst does that does that make sense yes yeah, great way to put it. And another way to say that is that all is a school. All is a video game that you designed. That's the that's the important thing. If you can grok that at a at faster, um, you can liberate yourself from the victim mentality and shift to the creator mentality and recognize that I designed my own video game for myself, my own school for myself. And then I see catalysts as things that are not oh, I'm going to be small. I'm the victim of all of these catalysts, my circumstances, but rather my state of being, my vibration, my frequency itself is generating my reality. And the more that my state of being itself is more empty of self-interest and more purely in service to others, more God-realized or capital S self-realized, the more that my circumstances, my reality will actually mirror that and that they will be just like, so just mwah. and so yes you're right when you do get something really difficult as a catalyst you created it and at that time it's not meant to be uh everything is absolute flowers um it's meant to be like there's going to be some pain but it's up to you if that creates suffering or not physical pain does not equal suffering ever ever physical pain itself is horrible I had a very, very bad, uh, a little over a year ago, injury on the left side of my body where it fractured along, it fractured a rib, it punctured my lung, deflated, all this type of stuff. And I remember just going back, like in the car in severe pain on the way to the hospital. And just the people that were in the car were just like, dude, how is this guy so meditative? I was saying things like your greatest traumas are your greatest treasures in the car on the way to the hospital. And, and it was just so great because it's all about your state of being. It's all about that state of being. Can you see even in the most intense pain possible rather than suffering and complaining and whining that you created it, that it's a catalyst for you? And uh, yeah, so that, that would be my take on it. And it was such a fun direct experience that I had with that, like in September. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. It, knowing that you programmed it, that's the nutty part, right? Because locally speaking, I mean, if you're a scientifically minded person, everything is localistically evolving, right? I mean, you're moving things and how can you control anything that's outside of you? The aura, these kinds of things don't even make sense in a scientific, well, pre-synthesis, pre right? Uh, yeah, pre-quantum, really. Pre yeah. Right. I mean, you, you talk to Langan, so, you, so, I mean, he's working on distributing quantum properties over all of reality. So even what we're saying, you know, speaking is a quantum mechanical action. And I mean, I think the, but that's where, that's where things start to ease is where you start to realize that things are self-programmed. It's just that, you know, your higher self and then, of course, the highest self, the self with the capital S is, well, that's the question, right? There's pre-incarnation programming as well. I mean, let's say that you are, you know, you're 
two parents and all of a sudden your child is born with a form of cerebral palsy. Um, I'm wondering what your take on pre-incarnation programming is with respect to genetic de genetic deformities, degenerative diseases, um, even genetic predispositions. I mean, are you? Do you actively think about this? Not actively, but this is a very cool question, and it. Um, it, it, it kind of plays into the color palette a lot um, in terms of, you know, the ones not going to solely incarnate with um, no um, birth difficulties, birth deficiencies. Um, and, it you know, everything's in an entangled state. So meaning that as you call a birth deficiency, um, it's also a birth gift or a birth experience in a sense. Um so you, you, you made an agreement to incarnate on behalf of the one so you could have the experience of what it's like to have hearing in only one ear. You know, one of my friends here has that issue. And, he, and this is a thing, like, it, it sucks, of course, but it's also like something like, wow, I'm having this experience that I created on behalf of the one and that there's even worse scenarios than that, like you were describing, like horrible neurodegeneration, um, things like people dying when they're just a kid, um, this, this type of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's you, you know, that's another thing. It's you. It's this boundless energy that's doing that um, and that wants to experience that and wants to learn from that. Um, but at the same time, you're having these incredible scientific advancements like being able to reprogram DNA using technologies like CRISPR and whatnot, where, for example, you can eradicate genetic mutations that cause um, horrible diseases upon birth. So um, we're we're really you know we're activating a lot of godlike potential, which is fat, which is fantastic. Um, but we do simultaneously need to awaken our consciousness to be able to understand the unity underneath of everything so that we don't create any um, malevolences um, along the way um, with these godlike technologies. So both the, um, the spiritual or the metaphysical side of incarnation in that way, but also in terms of the, the physical and the chemistry and the biology and the technology side of things, we actually are um, on behalf of the one moving forward with less and less uh, diseases and more and more um, successful incarnations with less and less uh, deaths at young ages. So medicine is improving. And what about to round off what I would think is what are the barriers to fourth density graduation or the earth's awakening? What about nuclear weapons? That's a godlike power that we have. They can't be uninvented. How do you foresee, let's say in the next 50 years, humankind's dealing with these weapons? Nice. Um, so I've, I've found that the um, interior and exterior um, are in a feedback loop with each other. So as in a, like consciousness and physicalism are in a feedback loop with each other. So meaning like if you 
if you don't have your basic needs being met um, and you're working 80 hours a week at minimum wage, that it's going to be really hard for you to be able to uh, pick up Robin and Maharshi's Who Am I? Um, and and but now if your basic needs are met um, and you do have more freedom um, with your time, then you will eventually deplete yourself of interest in substances and experiences and relationships and material possessions. And you'll be like, well, okay, how can I have eternal peace and happiness? Well, the answer is, who am I? What is I? Is seeking inward. And so we have to have both happening simultaneously. So for the answer with nuclear weapons, it would be um, a state of a state change, like a planetary constitutionalization as yes. no nuclear weapons, first of all. And so from that consciousness then of we are one, we are depleting ourselves of all nuclear weapons, we will never have nuclear war. From there then, the architectures become so that there's no nuclear weapons. They're designed, the models are designed so that there's no nuclear weapons. But from a state change at a level of like the United Nations General Assembly, from a level of also on the grassroots, so there's no um, there's no there's no risings from within countries that are interested in, especially with the border politics and border violence, with disputes over religion and land and resources. That there's also no activation of malevolence from a grassroots level because people understand at the same time that they are one with their neighbors and that they and their neighbors can actually have tea and have conversation and have love for each other because they are looking at themselves. They are not looking at a separate other. And this constitutionalization... Do you think it includes pronouncing basic human needs as human rights? Because as far as I'm concerned, the Geneva Conventions doesn't, I mean, does it include water, food, and shelter as human rights? I mean, do you think these should be, these should be human rights, correct? Yeah, it's in the SDGs. I'm not sure if it's in the Geneva Convention, but yes, it is in the SDGs. Uh, zero hunger, um, education for all, clean water for all, um, shelter, safety, um, uh, clean energy, uh, modern cities. Um, yeah, these types of things. And uh, yeah. So coinciding with this constitutionalization, have you heard of uh, Chris Langan's meta-religion idea? Mm -hmm. Do you think that, that the religions will, do you think that we can, in a constitutional fashion, unite all religions under the law of one? I love that, bro. Such a good, such a good question. Such a good thread for us to play on. Yeah, because um, when it's so funny when you um, when you look at some of the greatest that have um, that have spoken about what the nature is, they're all synthesis. They all pulled from all of the different mystic traditions. Um, they pulled from different retreats where they sat in silence. They sat in emptiness. Um, they investigated the nature of impermanence. Um, they, um, they took entheogens themselves. They unleashed God within thanks to things like um, DMT, psilocybin, etc. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they're all 
doing things like you heard me at the very beginning. What did I say? I said, I said, Wadat al wujud, tatva masi, I and my father are one. I just pulled from, you know, five billion, five billion peoples um, where, where they look at for their, for their spirituality. Right. And so, and so that's, that's the type of thing I think that we're heading towards um, is that ET style consciousness, like law of one, like you suggested, where you're like looking at um, what does earth look like when it's graduated um, in a couple thousand years where earth is in fact all unified, all basic needs are met, everybody is prospering, everybody's actualizing their fullest potential, everybody knows the nature of reality, um, everybody's basically just designing better and better ways to maximize prosperity and flourishing, um, and everybody's playing, everybody's relaxed, and um, and so I love that. I love that mentality of like, what does it look like? And how do we, how do we constitutionalize ourselves as the future as that? And then reverse engineer. Okay. So what do we need to do today and in a month and in a year and in three years in order to be able to get to that, that which is already done. It's also already done. Like we have to view it that way at the same time. The enlightened civilization by 2035 is already done being and finding are non-dual to each other <laughs> i mean you have stasis and you have dynamism we're 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 driving towards this fourth density earth but we're also arriving <laughs> as it's happening and that's where that's where i'm trying to vibrate the most is is it's so exciting i mean just the prospect of international peace or of i mean in a thousand years, this earth <laughs> would be breathtaking to, to, to see, but it's also happening right around us all the time right now. And that's, I think that beauty is, is something that is easy to, it's easy to either evolve or to appreciate that it's, it's tricky again to appreciate as you're evolving, like you were saying with feeling pain, but also saying that this is actually a treasure. And that that's not a contradiction, right? Because yes. to an ordinary person, that that's a complete contra. That's that's a that's a moment of insanity, you could say, right? But that's defined in terms of third third density egotistical self interest. What we're pushing towards is is planetary love, and so here's the next question: How are you in your day to day life seeing? more planetary love more 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 pure love as opposed to people ignoring each other on the streets well one thing that arises is here um in no limit society um we are quite uh empty of self-interest and so it's it's really nice when you're just walking up and hugging another person out of pure love and and you can both feel that on each other you can feel it in each other's hearts there's just a pure love hugging itself 
because we are that pure love hugging itself. It's not a human doing pure love to another human. It's pure love, which is the actual essential nature underneath it all, loving itself through the two individuations. And, and so that I think that's the level, that's the threshold that we should be aiming at, that we should have a, at our star. Um, and, and there are other ways in terms of there are other scenarios around the world where it's happening. Like another um, way of viewing this is, um, you know, the way that we've transitioned ourselves to uh, like understanding what indigenous tribes around the world are talking about regarding um, the unity with all that we are. Um, or another one is that when you see um, what used to be like a billion people that didn't have access to clean water, um, that then there would be some sort of a shift in um, in the collective consciousness to where now it is an SDG. So it is showing up in ways um, and it's not yet fully being actualized because there's one of the big things that I've noticed, you know, Last year, I also published a, a project called Rich Patrons in addition to my first book, High Level Perception. And in that project, what I said was that the reason why we haven't unlocked yet this trillions of dollars of surplus that we actually have across all of the billionaires on the planet is because they don't have a trusted way to put the money into solving the actual problems and challenges. And so... A, it's not just about funneling the money into the solutions because then they still come from a lower density of consciousness. So what we need to do is we funnel the money into consciousness, into our scientists, our researchers, our academics, our institutions, our governments, our economists, um, the people that are basically tuned into the fabric of the collective on those levels. And then as they wake up more and more, as they understand the nature that's underlying all phenomena, then they are the ones that then also design the architectures and policies and models that then do things like actually funnel those trillions of dollars into solutions that are sourceful, source-based solutions and then it's like you take the indigenous seventh generation principle and you actually bring it forth because the indigenous are three, thinking 300 years down the line. They're not thinking about 10 years from now. And so that's how you funnel those trillions of dollars of surplus into the actualization. And you can and, and you see that as pure love. Pure love is when you shift more and more away from instant gratification, away from self-interest, more and more towards the long-term planetary prosperity. Absolutely. And I mean, the next question is that <clears throat> we've covered a lot of the societal struggles. And let's let's fast forward, say, 100 years or 50 years, we'll both will both still be around. Do you think that there will be more paranormal experiences on earth that, that is the more we realize that there is a spirit world shall we say you know there's a time space if you think of the raw material time space as dual to space time 
and we have mortal worlds, right? And then we have the spirit world. Do you think that there will be more spirit world close encounters, interactions? I mean, we have the disclosure. Disclosure is going to be happening. What do you think about paranormal experiences that include ETs, but not just limited to ETs? And have you had any yourself, if you want to reveal? Nice. Yeah, I remember when we had Rupert Sheldrake on the show, we talked about these different, yeah, these different styles of, of uh, intelligence that are not uh, common right now. Um, and there's an, there's an, uh, an, there's an underlying morphogenesis to everything. Um, and a big morphogenetic field, which is basically what it looks like when you have something that is, um, it's evolving and it's also, uh, playing with itself in the evolution. And then it's, uh, it's all moving to an attractor of some sort, which we could say is this, uh, earth awakening. And, through a big possibility space, which has things like uh, nukes or no nukes or biowarfare or no biowarfare um, or perverse incentives in the social media attention economy or not, or shifting to Web 3.0 with decentralized autonomous organizations and NFTs, mm -hmm. fractional ownership for everybody. Um, and so... It, it totally feels like all of these new ways of communicating between each other are basically being unlocked right now. Um, and yeah, some of them have to do with some of these like, okay, when I'm super still and I'm super silent, can I actually tune in to what could be uh, in some sort of an entangled way into a uh, ET across the cosmos? And um, or even just here physically, uh, on earth, you could say that can my consciousness and your consciousness by just getting nice and slow and silent, can we sort of see the formless nature of our consciousness with no difference and with no locational, uh, difference as well. And so you can actually begin sort of like tuning into even that and then getting more telepathic and whatnot, which is sort of what's happening here in our field in No Limit Society. Um, and, and so for those that are listening, that's the uh, training free agents for the ignition of global awakening. And you can find the link in the bio below. Um, and yeah, bro. Um, the, I, I would say it's happening in many different ways. That style of of uh, next level comms, uh, and it's and it's even visible in these architectures as well, where you're like even talking about Web three and like fractional ownership and um, and things like uh, decentralization, like biomimicking what fungal networks are like in our social contracts, like even that, even talking about that is in itself already a big shift from the centralized monopolistic uh, fabric that then influences our communication because it makes us feel like, you know, we're victims or that we're separate or that we're, we are in different locations. Um, and so the next level architectures are going to feed into our consciousness as the consciousness will feed into 
Um, this higher density consciousness will feed into the next generation architectures, which will be much next level communication. Next level communication, meaning we're forming a social memory complex. Yes. Yes. And it's good. It's good to play with. I've also noticed this. I've noticed that much of my interest in jargon has also subsided meaning I still have access to concepts. I still have access to be able to talk about things like the social memory complex or SMC. But at the same time, I've relaxed more and more of my conceptual mind. And what's happened is a next level of um, emptiness has been able to come through. So more emptiness of self-interest is actually catalyzed by the letting go of the conceptual mind and then the that that emptiness can actually still access concepts as it needs in service to others as as needed exactly yes exactly rather than leading the way rather than trying to accumulate and amass and become superior because right. that's a tendency that that the mind has ascend to the top and everything else is now at the bottom of a hierarchy. Um, but so now that you're relaxing more, how do you find your thoughts moving from, from data? I mean, when you're just walking around the room, right? Are you still, are you still thinking of yourself as internally thinking or are you externally projecting your thoughts or is it still a feedback or how, how, how is it for you day to day? Every day is basically a liberation of the center, more and more of a liberation of the center. So every day is becoming more and more centerless and it's catching the formation of self faster and faster and the dissolving of the self faster and faster. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just more and more like dissolving into the fabric of divine love. Um, Yeah, and then there's like words just escape, also. and then just words fall away. Yeah. <laughs> words fall away, or rather, speaking becomes a little more like singing or playing, yeah, rather than just information exchange. Nice, right? yes, like you enjoy the the tone, the pace, the faces, facial expressions. That's what it becomes. And then at a certain point, you just start get, looking at each other and then telepathy begins. <laughs> yeah. How about, how about you with, uh, with waking up and also with um, how you've shifted um, given that? Because it sounds like you were just describing it a bit and it sounded really nice and interesting. <laughs> well, my, my background's a little bit unconventional maybe because... I remember one of my first thoughts being the law of one. And I mean, I was very fortunate as a child. Both of my parents were extremely loving. I had an extremely loving family, a uh, sister who's a year and a half younger, who was my best friend growing up. I had no want, I had no, my basic needs were satisfied. Um, so I didn't have to worry about trauma and it, it, that allowed a, a sort of op opening. 
I would actually look at the sun. I wanted to look at the sun, even though I knew it hurt your eyes. And I would look right at it and I would feel good. Eventually, I would just close my eyes while I looked at it. And uh, I remember um, that I would just feel this closeness because I would feel the heat inside of my organs. And I thought, well, the sun has to be millions of miles away. So what's this connection? And then I would look at the earth and I would think of myself as falling right through. And then, remember, you know, thinking of these celestial connections and then looking beyond and then looking at the stars and what, what's all that out there. And somehow, I, you know, I, I realized that I had no understanding of a star or of the sun or even of the earth. I realized I was completely ignorant of how anything worked. The only thing I knew was that I existed. And <laughs> because of that, I guess I deduced that existence has to just be one thing or nice. one object. Nice. And, <laughs> and from that, I just started looking at my parents. And it's not, the, I mean, at the time it was, it was naive. And I guess this does happen in developmental psychology where you just identify everything as yourself. And so I was just looking at myself at my parents and at the room and at trees and things. And I would just identify myself as them and say, well, that's me and whatever they're doing, I'm doing. And, and then as I grew up, I started to realize, though, that I did have an ego and that I did have this local identity that wanted to express itself and and sometimes in not so friendly ways. <laughs> and I reflected on any toxicity or any chronic negativity that I experienced towards myself or others. And I started to realize the law of one again. So basically I forgot about the law of one through my teens. I, I ever, you know, from four years old up until about 13, it was all about the law of one and everything was part of me. And, and basically it was, it was a joy filled childhood and, and I, that to that extent, it's, it might be unconventional, but um, then I sort of forgot for another 13 years that everything is one because I was dealing so intensely with other people. And so I felt this dualism very, very chronically for a while. And, you know, I'd say in the last two years, I remembered <laughs> that the law of one is the one truth. And I began to unite with people and well, I mean, I, you know, I still retain my, that's the thing. I still retain my personality in a sense and more and more. I'm trying to access a magical personality that doesn't cling to this local body, but just spherically spreads this body wherever it contacts. Like I was a, like when I was a kid, but not in a naive way anymore, not just identifying myself blindly with other people rather discerning because for a long time, it's easy to just judge. It's easy to just condemn and to see something negative and say, well, that's just pure idiocy, right? Or to, or to condemn yourself. But I realized that you can discern without condemning. You can just open your heart and have mercy towards whatever you're seeing and compassion. And then the spectrum goes from positivity to negativity to joy and compassion. So whenever something negative is happening, I queue up to either become compassionate or merciful, whether to myself or to somebody else. And 
If something bad isn't happening, then we're just on the on the way to joy. And so that's my I guess my I've tried to convert the positive negative duality into a non-dual spectrum where negativities are basically just challenges to the positive emotion, basically challenges the positive emotion to extend itself into the negative event and thereby become magical. Yes. Or metaphysical. Yes, yes. And that that's 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 I have to do that because I'm in a classroom with 30 kids who are 13 and who are forgetting the law of one. Although I will say that they do seem pre-incarnationally primed to fourth density love much more than than even I was as a kid and I had a very fortunate childhood. Yeah. So that's a big shift that I'm noticing. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, I loved when you were sharing this focus on both the, the positivity and then also just existence itself. And then also the seeing how even the kids that you're teaching today in the school, that they have a greater, um, in a sense, they it's a there's an entanglement that's happening with them where they have a greater access to the unity that everything is, but they also at the same time have a greater tendency to possibly get very distracted um, by uh, the what's what's also evolved, and so um, you can get more self-absorbed, uh, lowercase s self, um, yeah, by the modern technologies as you can also seek truth faster and more efficiently um, and uh, and liberate yourself from illusion faster. So it's, it's really interesting. It's an entanglement that that is uh, that's happening there. Um, beautiful, beautiful, bro. Yeah, there is there. There definitely is an entanglement between technological and metaphysical evolution. I mean, each kid we have to confiscate the phones at the beginning of the, of the day because it would be impossible to teach if they had their phone in their pocket. But the phone is also allowing for ex highly increased communication. Another weird thing that I've noticed is that people are a lot more open with their romances, with their crushes. Back when I was, a, you know, 10, 20, 15 years ago, it was a secret or it was a, a big deal. Now it's all out in the open. And so that's there's a little subtle things that I'm noticing that there there's much more openness. I ask them questions like, "Does war over land make sense?" And war no longer makes sense to them. Before, that's as a kid, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I set up the class so that. It, we're running a fourth density class. I have to remember my <laughs> that. I love no that. Longer. You're like, I'm running a fourth density class. I love that. I love <laughs> how like our teachers are starting to like say that. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm running a class based yeah. on non-separation, based on unity. That's so cool, bro. I love that. And I noticed strange correlations. They're talking about entanglement, there's strange correlations. If I show up in the morning in a bad mood, students are much more chaotic. And they they behave in I mean or and, and towards me I'm not so when I approach a student and let's say I'm in a bad mood they can already sense it they can already see it on me and they're immediately going to shell up whereas if I simply soften my heart and I'm like well you know a lot of these kids are coming from who knows I mean I do know 
their housing situation. A lot of them are struggling in many ways when it comes to base. I mean, the school has gives them breakfast and lunch. A lot of them, you know, struggle for basic needs at home. They struggle in many ways. And yet, and yet they have this openness, this purity to them. They open up to their to their teacher very easily. They're excited to come to school, even though, you know, it's a fourth density classroom, but we're also working on paper and we're working and I, I'm trying to elevate them and see no, no, your voice, your your actual voice is what we're working on, your your mind and your spirit. And, you know, ultimately, if you're not feeling happy in this classroom, if you're not enjoying yourself in some way, then I'm actually harming you. And I'd, I'd, I'd prefer not to do that. And so when, <laughs> when they get out of hand and when I, I always say things like, well, you're actually forcing me to lower my consciousness right now. You're forcing me to treat you like you're younger and like you don't understand how to be respectful, et cetera, et cetera. But if we can actually elevate our own consciousness, and I, I speak this way because they get it. You know, if we elevate our own consciousness to a, a loving state, then maybe we can actually have an enjoyable classroom and we don't have to suffer throughout the day. Nice. You and talk about elevating consciousness in class. I, so cool. I have to. I have to. Because you have 30 kids who want to talk to each other about things that have nothing to do with social studies. So <laughs> it, the, there's two ways of going about it. You either yell at them and tell everybody to shut up, okay, or you get their attention in some way. But getting their attention either implies you tell them a story or something. It usually doesn't have to do with school, right? So sometimes I'll do that. Sometimes it's story time and they get to hear about some kind of paranormal experience I've had or something or other. But it's all meant to get them to enjoy the day because I suffered through the day. I did not like school at all. I thought it was a prison and I didn't want to be there. And I thought I would learn better if I just walked around outside. But, you know, people thought it was something that had to be done. So if you would ask me, are you going to be a teacher when I was a kid? I would have I would have shaken my head and probably scoffed. But I then then I realized that, you know, even though the school structures that we have today, like the length of the day, the division of subjects, how many kids are in a single class, things like that. Um, even how the subjects are taught, all of these things have to be updated in, in terms of fourth density, but I can still run a fourth density classroom on the existing structures. And that's, that's so what, yeah, that's the shift. <laughs> that's the shift. It's... That's, that's the shift. It, you know, it, it, sometimes it feels like an at, like a tooth abscess because, you know, the, the old structures can really weigh you down. Yeah. I mean, the school day, the, they're, they're in class from 8.30 to 4.30. And the, there's a lot of serious time. They have one hour approximately of lunch and recess combined out of like six or seven of serious time. So in my class, it's fun time. Okay. It's social studies. We're studying how to socialize. <laughs> I always make, I make little jokes like that. Um, nice. Yeah. And, how uh, to fourth density socialize. It's so cute. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. So it that's that's a, a, a personal challenge that I, that I'm experiencing. It's it's very fun, um, and that's how I get to instantiate fourth density in the day to day. Amen, um, bro. But I, I'm sure. 
straight yeah. implementation. I love that though, because that's what it's all about. Because it, it's um, it's so much about anchoring the realizations into the fabric of existence. And so it's weaving. It's the tantric realization of weaving what you've discovered about the underlying oneness into the world. And you do that, yeah, through the ways that we've been talking about on the show. It's it's so good. And it's so good hearing that. Um, this I've never heard that before, a fourth density classroom. And that's starting to like really... <laughs> It's ringing right here. It's so sweet and it feels so good um, feeling you and feeling the kids like coming from a place of love, coming from a place of oneness in the classroom itself. Um, so good. Yeah, it's a joy, man. It's a joy. And, and I think it's a testament to the shift that's happening because a lot of them, like I said, they're so open that they share traumatic experience with me, experiences with me that would totally have broken me if I had, if I'd experienced that. <clears throat> but instead, you know, they just double down and say, well, that just means that family has to be flexible or you're, you know, a friend can be just as can express just as much love to you as a parent if necessary. And to me, they're more and more seeing that the earth family is what we're shifting towards and that we can't just have these little nuclear islands. Cool. Right? Um, so cool. So they, I mean, they, learn about they learn about the distinction between the communal family and the nuclear family and yeah. they all think about how we have to unite them because they know that we can't have a communal family in the standard indigenous sense the society is too big we have too much complexity but at the same time we can't have all this closure because because then you only care about your family and i <clears throat> i'll ask them a question like um should you care about someone you have no idea about or rather should you care about a, a stranger a pure stranger and they all ask well what did the stranger do but then the question is well who cares right some one kid always raises that question they could have done something terrible but they're still a person and they still deserve some kind of mercy and then the rest of the class starts to realize, oh, yeah, well, even if they did something terrible, the, the, the likelihood is that they didn't. The likelihood is that they're just someone who's out there, mm -hmm. you know, in some field, right, probably struggling for basic needs. And they think it makes no sense to not think of the planet as some kind of mega family, yeah, which is something that, that so would be non-intuitive <laughs> for a lot of people. It. It, they, it's okay. it's but it, that's the thing it's in it's intuitive to them they don't have an issue understanding these things they don't have an issue understanding that war is incoherent uh the these things don't uh confuse them they just have a clear answer and that's why uh i'm so excited about the coming years because even when even in ten, this tells me that even in 10 years i mean our the the density of of our of our consciousness is going to be much higher it's oh. so exciting with the little ones i love it war is incoherent and they're seven and they're seventh graders they're you know they're they're they're, yeah. they're young they're 12 13 year old kids they're but they're and they're they're experiencing adolescence and that is a, a shift in itself and yet 
and and yet they understand that bullying of all forms is undesirable from everybody's perspective. They, these things that that were kind of implicit 15, 20 years ago even are now just completely intuitive and explicit. Yeah. So that's so good. Fourth density is here. Yeah. Why <laughs> would I? Why would I create the traumas? Like why would I? Why would I catalyze trauma? That's such a good question for kids to ask themselves. So good. Exactly. Exactly. And their answer is it's so unnecessary. I mean, if you're going to do something negative, right, it has to be at least necessary that this is another conversation that always comes up with them because learning about early American history, they're learning about a lot of trauma, right? They're learning about genocide and slavery and how people it survived slavery. How does somebody not commit suicide is a question that they come up with when it comes to slavery. And of course, then we shift the attention to, well, they had families on the many talking about American slavery, they had families. And how is it that family love can be so strong that you would prefer to stay on the plantation with your family than basically commit suicide or try to escape, which is equivalent to suicide. And, you know, so family love, it, it doesn't, fourth density doesn't mean that you lose your family, <laughs> you know, you mean, but it does mean that you have to open your heart to people you have no clue about. And I think that's a, a very beautiful thing. And I mean, here's, here's a question. Did, did you enjoy school? I mean, are you, what was your school experience like? Yeah. And can I also ask for the audience, would you mind um, sharing with us a general like location um, of where your school is? Oh, yeah. New York City. Okay, cool. And then is it um, is it a it's a public school? It's a public charter. It has it it derives some funding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, and you said it's eighth grade, right? 13 year old? It's middle school. I think seventh grade right now. But yeah, middle school, sixth through eighth. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Wow. Dude, it's so exciting. Um, I was mentioning to you <laughs> that one of my, one of my best friends um, growing up, uh, Greg Harner, he also... Um, is social studies teaching. And I think that he would love to um, hear this. And because he and so many other teachers that are like you, basically, that are, in a sense, it's like 30, like 30 year old teachers that are like, um, uh, like that are seeing the earth slowly shifting into a more awakened state. And now it's like, well, also, my kids see that war is in, uh, incoherent. They, my kids see Earth as a mega family. And it's great because you, as you wake up, you catalyze that in the classroom because you can't show up with your state of being being off. Because if you show up that way, it gets reflected to you by the kids. And so it's great. So you show up uh, more and more consistently from that unity. And then you get to catalyze great questions for them to like basically turn inward and be like, uh, no, I do care about some stranger that I don't know. Um, and that's so good. Um, for me, school was fantastic. Um, it, um, it, 
it was a great um, example of me being able to like actualize my intelligence um, because you know my my family also um, put in a lot into me being like very agile, like very polymathic, um, very intelligent. <laughs> my mind, my mind is very sharp. I distilled the essences of a lot of different fields, um, up until I was like 18 years old. And then that totally played a huge role into, um, the last 10 years of my life. And so, um, uh, now, now I would say that the thing that did happen when I was in school that I would like to shift a bit was, um, there was not so much of a focus on consciousness. There was not so much of a focus on what metaphysics, the nature of reality. There wasn't a big focus on, on unity and oneness and, um, the planetary architectures to meet basic needs and this type of stuff. And so I, I actually have interviewed several people on the show from different schools that are, um, that are either like founders of those schools or that they run those schools and that, um, typically what the answers are is things like it's built into our curriculum now, like consciousness, oneness, unity, the SDGs, project-based learning. Um, this is all built into our curriculum now. And it's, and that's, that lights me up every time I hear that type of stuff. So that's, uh, I'm really grateful to all my teachers. I love my teachers with all my heart. Um, and I, whenever I go back to my hometown, I usually stop at my elementary school, my middle school and my high school. And I go and I check in and I give them so much love. Um, because, uh, you know, having a kid show up that like took your class 20 years ago or 15 years ago or 10 years ago, and to have them come back and just be super grateful, um, is like for them is like, oh my gosh. And like, wow, you also host a show where you talk to people about, you know, maximizing human potential and stuff. And so they get really excited. They're like, I taught someone that is now doing this on behalf of the world. And it's, um, it's really good. It's really good to, <clears throat> to have, to have a, um, a heart to heart relationship so close and so loving with, with your teachers. And so hopefully that's another thing for, yeah, for you and your students now is like, Dude, they're, they, they in like five years, 10 years, 15 years are also going to be doing great things around the world. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, Bernard, this is what I'm doing. Thank <laughs> you for teaching me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the long-term catalyst. That's catalysis, right? That, that you are embodying. And I love that. I mean, I would say that the transition to fourth density education is still very, very in its very, very beginning stages. Um, we're doing well in encoding fourth density ideas in third density curricula, yeah. but the curricula themselves remain third density in the sense that we're still learning about science, math, social studies, and ELA all in division. And those divisions technically probably don't hold in fourth density in the way we think, but I have, my challenge is to transitionally update the, the education, my own curriculum, which I construct and the education system itself. I mean, in time, I will, I will come out with a little blueprint for what a fourth density school could look like um, so in, in its entirety. I would love so we'll to stay tuned for that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to create with you on that. It's so exciting. 
Um, and also my other, yeah, my other friends that either are teachers or that have founded these different charters and schools, I would love for, um, for a deeper collaboration there. Um, also Honorog is doing a lot of work in that space, which is super cool. Um, Andy Bittner is too. So it's, I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited that you're passionate about this because like, oh, this is so, this is so instrumental because we're not just going to overnight shift everybody out of 3D schools. So the, so the, so one of the best ways is to basically bring 4D into, um, the seeds in and then water them in the 3D until they shift more and more into 4D. Um, so good. And meanwhile, also be building completely different um, schools that kids can go to. Like, for example, awakened parents like uh, you, me, we're not yet. Um, I assume you're not, right? Yeah. No. But um, <laughs> and like and like many of the people in like no limit society that are young, like under thirty, like don't have kids, and so like eventually when they do have kids, dude, they're not going to put their kids through any three D shit. So that means that they're going to be looking for a four D school curricula style, and so this is um it's going to be a big also um success because there's going to be a lot of demand for it. Yeah, and it's going to look very different. Right. I mean, the, the content that they'll be learning, the way they'll be learning it, very, very different. Um, I, I, I'm personally extremely excited about it. That's the thing I'm most excited about right now is the development of 40 schools. <laughs> I love that, bro. Gosh, that's so exciting for me. Cool. That's great. I love, I love actually adding that as like a tag to our relationship is uh, 40 schools. So good, bro. Yeah, I mean, it. I should have. I should have a blueprint in the next year for what one would look like and how the curriculum will change, how the day to day will change. The whole thing has to be formulated. But I have it fully formed. I just have to write it out. It's a little bit tricky to get some free time these days, but <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll put it down soon and we can talk about it. I love it. Yeah, we could do another show on 40 schools also. That's so good, bro. Um also I would I would love to I would love to say um to the audience as well cuz we'll have the law of one uh, info. We'll have that link in the bio for you guys to check out. But generally what we're talking about when we're talking about densities is we're talking about densities of consciousness and that means um the amount of love light awareness. So awareness, love and light that is present in the mind, body, spirit complex. So um, meaning in each person in a simple way, in each person, um, in this mirror is the chakras. So the seven chakras mirrored. Um, uh, same thing with the colors of the rainbow or the C, D, E, F, G, A, B, the musical octave, um, that generally uh, the shift is happening from the third density, which you could say as like a very uh, matrix style uh, fabric um, of centralization and of separation, that type of thing, um, to where your fourth density is a heart chakra. So you're shifting up into this unity awareness, love, light. And then that is what we're talking about in terms of implementing into the school is that style of shift in this big timeline of 13.8 billion years of evolution, as is said, that each one of these little earth simulators goes on its little, 
evolution in the densities of consciousness. And so this is where we're at right now on this uh, planet Earth simulator, and that we have this opportunity to go directly into the um, the education of what children are inputting every single day into their consciousness and then to create catalysts through what they're inputting so that they get more flavors of unity and oneness and awakening, um, non-separation, full actualization at younger ages. So yeah, just wanted to briefly also clarify for people. Yeah. I mean, the densities are, difficult to understand in our current context because they're more general than dimensions but we're talking about right densities of consciousness and students understand that consciousness is the name of the game and you know they 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 no longer are worried about third density imperatives as much they realize that those are transitional um so you know i think I speak rather freely with students. Uh, I, I don't sugarcoat why they're there. I don't actually pretend that the school that I'm in, even though it allows me all this freedom, that any third density school is going to allow you to fully enjoy your day. It is still very difficult to move through a school day um, in the existing structures. And being a little vague right now, but that's because, you know, this is still introductory. But I mean, in terms of how long the classes are and things like that, um, they, it's it's actually easy to resist a fourth density school because it's going to appear at first that kids aren't going to be learning anything. Right. Because we understand school as this transmission of information, like you have a stimulants response machine bunch of students or stimulus response machines and then you just feed them input as the teacher that that model is what is going to be replaced as this co-creative model that that we could talk about in the future but um yeah man that's it's very very nice very nice so i think uh i think one more question then um before we close I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do, I mean, do do you do you actively think of your own body as absorbing for fourth density light more and more every day? Oh, I mean, is this a thought pattern? Like, that's a cool question. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, are you receptive? We're, we're opening denser? our aperture. Yeah. Opening our aperture for sure. Yeah. Um, less and less, uh, less and less density of, uh, lowercase s self. Right. So, um, yeah. And so then as, um, as the density of conditioning and the density of separation and contraction decrease, um, the opening of the aperture to light and love increases and freedom increases. It's um, yeah. one infinite creator intelligence gets to be the daily um, moment to moment guidance and, and inspiration. Yeah. And it feels so good and it feels way more decentralized and way less contracted, way more centerless, 
um, way more, like you said, also, it's like a dance and a play in communication. And um, yeah. Absolutely, man. I mean, you're very, you're very cells. Okay. You're the, the new cells that are being generated in your body when you're experiencing loving thoughts or loving feelings, those are fourth density cells in a sense. I Maybe mean, we can talk about that in a future conversation. Cool. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, Whoa. yeah. 4d cells. That's cool. 4d yeah. cells, man. Whoa. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. And on a teaser. That's such a good point because um, even like in biology, it can really relate well with this because um, we do know we do know very clearly that um, from like this Cambrian explosion era until now, from even abiogenesis until Cambrian explosion until now, it's a very clear like lineage of cellular evolution. And then even up until now, these like 30 trillion celled human vehicles that it's so cool because they have not stopped at they're continuing to evolve. And so that's why you have the fucking cerebral cortex and that you have this prefrontal cortex and that you have all of this like next level, next generation also in technology that's coming out with what we're feeling into with AR, VR, neurotech, biotech, all these different fields. Um, and, you know, doing that with a lot of ethics and doing that with a lot of morality and a lot of um, future presence around oneness and unity. So there's no malevolence that can like squeak in there. Um, but then that that then feeds back into, yeah, the cellular evolution. And I love that. Yeah, 4D cells like literally the cells themselves being infused more and more with love light and i actually now that you say that i feel that more and more as my aperture is yeah because it feels like you're dancing the one infinite creator um instead of um it the the contracted energy feels like your cells are more like third density that's such a interesting way to to put it. Like your state your state state of being is from a fourth density cellular intelligence. That's so cool. Yeah, the cell you can think of the cells as having more connections with other cells, behaving more like like actual networks than cells, single cells, right? You think of third density cell. I mean, third density is based on cells, but then fourth density, right? You start getting into systemic action which is what's which is so mm -hmm. we maybe this is a can of worms we'll talk about it in a future episode but you can give us a little bit more stuff. you can give us a little more because <laughs> keep going well, okay raw raw talks about the creation of what they called green core particles so green has to do with the fourth chakra which is 4d and so they use this metaphorical language but what they were saying was that the Earth's environment is being more becoming more conducive to the production and acceptance, right, of, shall we say, 4D photons from the sun. And those 4D photons can be accepted by human cells or other third. You could argue that certain animals exhibit third, third density consciousness. Like, I mean, if you if you have a, a dog or a cat or any, I mean, really any animal. But anyway, you. These, these cells can accept 40 photons, and those 40 photons can activate more internal connections with other cells, and that basically creates systemic action as opposed to individual cell action. Individual cell action is what allows for cancer and other degenerations to occur because 
those cells basically lose track of their connections with other cells. When a cell thinks of, its, of itself as more of a system than an individual, <clears throat> just like a human, right? If a human thinks of itself as more of a system than an individual little Whoa. island, then it's going you, you see what I'm saying? So the yeah. 4D cell thing, and by that very nature, the cell gains, because 4D, you could, I mean, the, the dimensions of space, okay, you got the dimensions of space, but also, also there's dimensions of time, right? You have past, present, and future. But in, but in 4D, you get an entire past life or pre-programming in terms of which all your, your body is going to evolve. I mean, the, the parameters of your body are set before the lifetime. I mean, they're very wide, obviously, but you have the whole, I mean, think of it as like carving your own possibility space, right? Um, the cells have their own carving of their own possibility space. But what we're able to do now, these 40 photons, the more we think these loving thoughts, we're able to activate locked regions of our DNA, right? What CRISPR and things like that can do, we can do that endogenously through 4D thoughts and feelings. And those are the, that's, that's what I can say for now. The, your cells are so, basically accepting more levels of processing. So <laughs> good, bro. I love, so, it. I love we, it. We can, we can, we can talk whenever, whenever you want, man. I, I actually have to go, but um, perfect. It, it's, uh, it, it's amazing exchanging energy with you. Yeah, you too. I, I love um, forty schools, forty cells. Um, and just more about Earth's awakening and Earth shift, um, and the curricula um, as well. Yes, uh, schools. So yeah, Bernard, this is beautiful, my brother. This is uh, the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and I'm so so excited. Thank you. So so am I. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, super cool um, conversation, and um, oh yeah, also for everybody. Um, uh, love you guys. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. We would love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Drop us a comment. Also, um, like the video. It helps the algorithm. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. Also, share this conversation with Bernard to your friends um, that are interested in Earth's Awakening. Uh, this will generate some great catalysts for them. And also check out the link in the bio below. Uh, we have Bernard's YouTube channel, so go and subscribe to that, like his videos, check out his content as well, share it with other people if you find it to be resonant. He does a great job over there. And uh, that's, yeah, that's all. Also, yeah, Love of One link is in the bio to check out and also is uh, the No Limit Society, what we're building here. So um, infinite love to you guys. Also, What Is I and High Level Perception, the book's um, that I wrote will be there. Um, love you guys so much. Bernard, any other um, thoughts? Remember the law of one. Everything you look at is technically isomorphic to you. That's yeah. it. Amen. Amen. I'll end the stream and then um, you and I will stay in for just a minute. Okay, everyone. Bye.